now, Culture Club with Melanie Olivero. It is Culture Club time. I'm Melanie Olivero for CNA 938 Culture Club. As you know, covers books as often as we can. So that's what we're doing today. Although the title is quite the attention grabber, it's Investing for the Clueless, Reckless and Overly Cautious. And it's written by Swapnil Mishra. Swapnil wrote this book for all the non-finance savvy readers out there, even those who are up to speed with the concepts, but have in some way made bad decision and lost a ton of cash, even those who are overly cautious as well, hence the title. So in order to make things more understandable to everyone, Swapnil tells the tales of 10 everyday fictional people who've made financial mistakes and through these stories explains in the simplest of terms what went wrong and what they should have done. So let's welcome back to CNA 938 author Swapnil Mishra. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And yeah? thank you for having me here. <laughs> and it was nice to see you on TV the other day oh, on CNA TV. <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you. What a joy. What an unexpected delight. I had no idea <laughs> you were joining my colleagues a few weeks ago. Swapnil, you're a former banker and educator. What made you want to put out this book? Because you call this a self-help book and you likened yourself to a life coach in that sense. Yes, of course. So I would say the element of life coach originates from the idea that uh, many times financial advisory services, we know financial advisors, while we are surrounded by financial products, in reality, we're just helping investors navigate through the emotions underlying those decisions. Uh, you know, it's, it's a world of uncertainty. There's no guarantees in the world of investing. So you're navigating that uncertainty and the emotions that uh, kind of originate. So in some ways, the role of the advisor is almost like a, like a life coach uh, or mm. a financial coach uh, to the investors. And so apart from that, what were the main uh, factors that made you put out this book? Actually, the trigger for this was a conversation. Okay. Um, it was with the students from SMU in, in that particular two years back uh, from, from the batch. And I tend to ask students, you know, what are they thinking about money? Because very soon they will graduate, they'll have money. And I'm always curious to know what they are going to do. And that led to uh, questions, you know, so things like, I don't have any money. I have, you know, I, I do tuitions and I get $1,000. What can I do with that? And I ended up using stories to explain to them the concepts behind and the stories obviously came from my own experience because I've been dealing with uh, clients for so many years and it was very interesting that the reaction was we've never understood this concept in the way you have explained okay and then I said okay if this is interesting then uh, maybe we can do something out of it and I took the proposal to Edmund at uh, Epigram. Yes, Edmund is the publisher Absolutely. and founder at yes. Epigram Books. And this is not the first book you've written, isn't that right, Swapnil? Yes, this is my third book. And what were your, your previous books? So the first one was, so the first two are actually middle grade books. Uh, first one was Freddy the Eager Fundraiser. And the second one was Freddy the Dogged Rescuer. And this was the first one talking about finance with storytelling and um, yeah, and, and Edmund really, he loved the idea. Yeah. And then, of course, we had to go back to the drawing board and do some research on how the whole uh, book, you know, kind of will be organized. The cover design looks a lot like there was this book released about 20 years ago called Dangerous Books for Boys. 
for me, it looks very much like that. So it's it's great because that cover was so eye catching, yeah. and is very similar to uh, the one that you're the one that we're talking about now. So it's a great concept as well. And when you say that some of these students they say, uh, "I only have a thousand dollars. I earned that thousand dollars." You say right off the bat in the first few pages that you can even start investing at a thousand dollars. Absolutely. So you know this is not something that they need more money to invest. They can always start small yeah. and they have to be padded with all that financial information that they need. You have indeed spoken to people of different generations, Swapnil. What financial concerns do they mostly have in common from the young and the older that are in the book? I think the fear of losing money yeah. is consistent across uh, generations, which is surprising. I would have, I would have, Again, I would have expected the younger generation to not start with this fear of losing. But to my surprise, um, it was a very common fear that if I have 5,000, I just don't want to lose that 5,000. Yeah. Then um, the feeling, the peer pressure. So that's the other one which cuts across generations. You see, you know, your friends in the in the finance club talking about trading. And I, you know, they, I bought Tesla and then I made 20%. I bought Bitcoin. And the people who are listening to it are thinking, oh my God, am I missing something? Which is the same thing that happens with a conversation in a bar, you know, where people in their 40s or 50s are uh, discussing their successes and more commonly successes. Nobody talks about their failures, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. And then there, there is wine or whiskey investing and they talk about this over glasses Absolutely. of wine. Yeah. And then some people get so slightly intimidated yes. or they get that sense of FOMO that these emotions sometimes when they act on it, as explained in the book, can be quite dangerous indeed. And if not, uh, cash is lost. Investments are halved or even sometimes they dissipate. Okay, so let's talk about the fictional characters, Carrie, Somesh, Dora, and so and and the rest of them. These are some of the characters fronting the different chapters. So I'm assuming, of course, as you mentioned just now, Swapnil, these are people in real life, clients or relatives, friends you've met over the years. Yes. Yeah. So are they mostly friends because or mostly family members? It's all. So in fact, if you see the first one, which is the habit of not saving. Yes. Uh, 20 years back, I would fall in that same category of, you know. Seriously. <laughs> you make the first amount of money and the first thing you want to do is spend. Right? You don't, you know, so it's um, it's it's something which uh, we all, so I would say that is something that relates with me. But many of the other stories are actually clients um, or in some cases friends. And that's the one thing which has also been, you know, it kind of, it resonates that is why the stories resonate with readers because uh, you read and you're like, ah, that's exactly what I end up doing. <laughs> Actually, you're right, you know, Swapnil, because my first official paycheck as a banquet waitress uh, many moons back, uh, I was so excited to receive this amount of money that the first thing I did that I would never do today was to buy a designer jacket by a local label. And it's because, like you said, you're young and you feel you're, you're, you've got a lot of cash and you've just earned this amount of money. Yeah. You, you want to treat yourself. Yeah. Never mind that all of it goes away the moment you buy <laughs> that thing. So I think we've, we've all made that mistake, that error. Okay, tell us about the 50-30-20 rule that many financial advisors stick by. In your experience interacting with people, Swapnil, are more getting familiar with this concept. 
I think the awareness is definitely higher. Uh, it's also because of social media where a lot of this information is flowing. A lot of people have put in the effort to create content to share all of this information. I, I think what happens is somehow if you take the earlier decision of buying that jacket uh, and you combine it also with this 50-30-20 rule, what ends up happening is we in search for the perfect rule, we end up with no rule. So whether you have a 50-30-20 or you have a 50-40-10, it doesn't matter as long as you have some kind of a rule. So even when you bought that jacket, maybe if you'd have saved, let's say, even 5%, 10% and invested, at least you would have started your journey of investing. And it's the same approach over here with 50-30-20, which is it is one possible rule which may apply to you. But you discover your own rule and apply it to yourself because it is your exclusive rule and uh, it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be wrong mm. as long as there is some rule. No rule is a guarantee for failure. <laughs> <laughs> and you said it's a possible rule because we can tweak it. But let's let's tell everyone what 50 stands for, 30 stands for, 20 stands for in this possible makeup. So it's in, you can break it up as expenses which are necessary, compulsory, which you just cannot avoid. Your rent, your food, transportation, you have to get to work, you have to spend the money. So that's your necessities. Then you have the second layer where those are aspirational. And so you do treat yourself to them, uh, to those uh, benefits, expenditure. But you also have, let's say, a 20% number which you block and say, hey, this is money which I'm not going to touch and I'm going to keep it. In, invest it or save it and you know that's that's money which is allocated now these ratios vary because you may have a situation where it's a family of two and both of them are earning in which case one of the salaries can have a higher component of saving you may have dependents where the 20 percent may not be feasible yeah. because you have such high expenses so you are effectively splitting the money into two three buckets of priority and keeping the saving as a as a guaranteed or a must do activity I like uh, that. Three buckets of priority, financial yeah. priorities. I think that makes it easier to remember. Various themes are running through your book. And for those who've just tuned in, the book that we're talking about is Investing for the Clueless, Reckless and Overly Cautious by Swapnil Mishra. So let's talk about the various themes running through it. Uh, why people make bad financial decisions. And you sort of touched on this just now, Swapnil. Greed ignorance, lack of focus, FOMO, keeping up with the Jonases and also keeping up, trying to keep up with friends and pride. Your thoughts on that? Like you said, as a life coach, you need to also manage the emotions of people with, when they want to park their cash and where. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the foundational um, uh, factor that connects some of these is the difficulty that we as human beings have in changing the way we are doing things. Mm. We are all very comfortable with our status quo. So I may look at the weighing scale and say, hey, I want to lose five kilos or I want to get fitter. And I will always say, oh, from next month. So we are all good at planning for the future, but we are not good at planning today and executing today. So if you see the concept of fear and you're sitting on cash and just holding on to cash and not investing, you're so stuck to that position that you're not willing to invest that amount of time to discover this journey and say, okay, I'm going to understand it. If you're motivated, you can do it. If I today say that you're going to go to go for a holiday to uh, you know, Dubai, you will put in the effort of researching, you will go to the bookstore, you will get a book, you will do all of the planning to find out how it's going to be in your trip to Dubai. 
is the same concept here right you're sitting with money but you need to put in that effort so the underlying uh, i would say behavioral bias or the challenge that we face is our inability to move away from the default position and then we become erratic and suddenly fear is replaced with greed where we say oh my god i've just been sitting and watching the markets go up and down so i'm going to go all in now and um, and that's inconsistent and then of course after that it's a roller coaster of emotions that you're just going through over a period of uh, time because you have not really thought through and planned yeah i think it, in its essence it's fear yes yeah fear is what makes people make those bad decisions so let's talk about one of the characters felix who lives on credit and his situation worsens when he becomes hooked on bnpl buy now pay later schemes and then also there's ben in another chapter who only puts his money in fixed deposits and is scared of investing his savings in any other way you just talked about that just now these people are extremes of each other but in a nutshell how can both benefit from the same financial advice so in a way the the book and the stories are organized as chapters or phases of life or f- life stages so you have a phase where you are beginning to earn you need to saving becomes a priority then you have investing as a priority once you start having more money managing the complexities of you know dealing with an advisor um then you have overconfidence right after you have done it for a few years you also migrate from feeling hesitant to now becoming overconfident and then you can you're vulnerable to a ponzi scheme so so in a way it stages so not necessarily the same advice because based on the stage at which you are your particular situation may demand a separate situation so if you are not able to save money because you are vulnerable to buy now pay later then you need to have a very different approach of trying to first solve for this compulsive habit of spending the money versus somebody who has already started saving and has to deal with the fear of uh, you know dipping the toes in the water kind of a thing and there it is understanding the risk versus a scenario where i have decided i want to invest but i don't know what to do about it so th- so the advice in a way and that's how the kind of chapters are organized where the story and the reflections are contextual to the protagonist in that story yes indeed and every chapter comes with advice or case scenarios or case studies on how these people could have handled their issues differently. And then there's Dora, she's overwhelmed by too much information, so she hastily invests in financial schemes she doesn't quite understand and she doesn't want to look ignorant again to her financial advisor. So she doesn't ask him basic questions because she feels intimidated. She feels like she's an ignoramus, she doesn't know enough. how should we treat the situation and our feelings if we feel as aisha does because uh, should we then just ask as many so called stupid questions until we get the picture and not care about what the advisor thinks so that's that's a tricky one and and i can tell you even seasoned investors you know people who who manage millions of dollars in private banks they struggle with the same thing because as a as a as a 40 as a person in 40s the stress of appearing stupid is even higher than somebody who's in their 20s because you can say hey i'm young but <laughs> if you're old and you have money you cannot afford to <laughs> uh, appear stupid i think one the two things that have happened now one is the uh, sheer amount of information available in the public domain uh, thanks to the platforms you can take any bank's platform you can look at you know information so there's a lot of information that's already available for you to 
um, kind of learn about various concepts and possibilities. And the second is when you said asking, you know, somebody these questions and appearing stupid, it's to ask multiple people. So mm. I can have one meeting with the first person where I'm asking questions and I'm just patiently listening to the answers. But I learn from this conversation and with the second one, I go and ask even better questions. So you can, of course, it requires investing a little bit of time, but it's possible to do that. But this is your money. And like you said, that if we can spend so much time planning a holiday, we can do the same with our money. Yeah. And then if we do it well and right, we can have another holiday buying a business class seat. <laughs> so actually, that's why the in terms of the overall focus for the book, I have not kept it towards what are the platform or what are banks going to do? What yeah. should an advisor do? It's 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 my money. It's our money. So yeah. who is going to be the best person to take control of that? It's, you know, who owns the wealth? Yeah. So it's not about blaming the advisor or blaming the bank, but rather saying what can we do differently? Swapnil, let's talk about Somesh. Somesh was the victim of a Ponzi scheme which we keep hearing about in the news, why do people keep falling for them? And what are the key red flags we must watch out for? Because like you said just now, even sometimes the most financially savvy of people still fall for the Ponzi scheme, where it's too good to be true. Yeah, absolutely. I think somewhere, um, the if you come across a scheme or anything which looks too uh, too good to be true, you want to say this time it is different. Mm. And and then you kind of start convincing yourself that, oh, this is something that makes sense. And, 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 and you skip, you start skipping steps of uh, you know, due diligence or, or those red flags. And the minute you skip them, it's 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 uh, it's you're on a dangerous path because you've already kind of, you know, started to you know, get entrapped in that scheme. And, and the people who are doing it, so you have to understand, right? They are also sophisticated. They understand how to play on the emotions, press the right buttons. Um, so you're up against somebody who's really good at it. So it, it does require a very high degree of alertness and at times a uh, skeptical, pessimistic outlook when evaluating these deals. Mm. I do know of a friend who visited this uh, this trader and she went to his apartment and he showed her all his computer screens saying, oh, look at what I can do for you. Look at the returns that you're going to get every month. And isn't this wonderful? And come on board with me and look at all these people who've also come on board with me and here's a champagne and would you like to be part of it? Yeah. And a few years later, he was arrested yeah. for fraud. So thank goodness she didn't, she, she thought it was too good to be true, a little too slick. And then also the champagne kind of made her... <laughs> I don't know what it was about the champagne. But I'm so glad that she dodged the bullet with that one. But you're right. Too good to be true. And also they can be too sophisticated for, yeah. for our liking, you know? So, and, and then they, and they roll out one the red carpet and they also roll out the names of others who are doing it. So, yes. you know, we attach credibility as one thing where if, if I have... Uh, if, if this person is investing, then... I'm sure they have done the due diligence. So we kind of, we want to side pocket with that person. Um, that's the most dangerous one because it's your money. You if you have to do the due diligence yourself. And and I would say at least in the financial industry, thankfully, regulators are doing a, a pretty good job of ensuring that, you know, licenses are accurately displayed. You can verify these things. You can go to the public records and say, hey, you know, what is the license of this company? You can do all of that. It's it's there. Yeah. So it's it's been designed to protect the investors. 
and uh, it has to be used to yeah. you know in terms of access information and also you're right because uh, this person also name dropped uh, famous people to her but i'm so i'm so glad swapnil that she didn't <laughs> take him up on his offer what other cautionary advice would you like to tell us about that we've not yet brought up today so far i think looking for information which uh, in terms of your own choices so you know when we saw the there is a story for dora where it's more about her discovering for herself what she wants to do and then there is aisha's story which is more around understanding what are the choices available for you and sometimes what happens is uh, to discover that information you have to put in that effort and it's interesting just now on the news it said that apple Uh, did not allow this news of 30% cheaper options available information to reach the users right so obviously there are people who are incentivized not to let this information come out but as investors it is then our responsibility to to kind of put in that effort right i mean if you're standing at orchard road and you want to go to woodlands you cannot just depend on five uh, people to walk up to you and say i will take you in my car Uh, you have to look around and say hey there's an underground mrt station here which can take me to woodlands for a fraction of the cost so somehow the discovery of information a little bit of effort is needed and we have to have that belief and faith that that effort will if not anything it will help us understand the lay of the land better uh, in 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 making those decisions the next time uh, we are in that situation you mentioned aisha was she the one who was too overwhelmed with so many financial instruments that she didn't know what to do or was she the yes. one yes yeah. so you know that's that's again a classic case where there are so many people who spend a large part of their life not really focusing on money yeah. because it's an autopilot you're doing cpf you maybe bought your first property and then you're set you're not doing anything much beyond that and suddenly there's an inheritance there's a divorce Yeah. there's a you know you are working in a startup and there is an exit that happens and the ipo and then listing and suddenly you're sitting with a million dollars and now you have kind of you have skipped all the steps of learning and straight away you're dealt with this situation where you're like okay i've got a million now and you can't run away you can't you have to deal with it it's it's staring in front of you and that's kind of what i tried to capture in aisha's case where she couldn't wish that problem away yeah and uh, and you you haven't got the foundation so and that's happening now with the especially with the startup uh, exits mm. we're seeing so many cases like that where founders or you know people from the from the company are suddenly sitting with a lot of money and no idea of how to go about <laughs> managing it unless they're fintech companies but even then also you said then, right yes because a lot so of them now, are they are techies so they they basically they may be an engineer they are software programmers yeah. they are you know product people so they have no idea they are just suddenly sitting with this and then they enter a world of wealth management which is alien to them so they are not familiar with the terminology and then they are trying to see who do i trust so it's a um, i guess it goes to show that you have to be prepared and it's ironic that in schools and colleges these kind of things are not taught as life skills because uh, it's it's inevitable that you're going to be managing your money yeah it it definitely <laughs> is inevitable as much as uh, a death and taxes are inevitable you advise that if we want to beef up our financial knowledge we could sign up to let's say online courses by licensed companies in your observation swapnil how do these companies let even the most ignorant novice investor be comfortable with all the information that they are giving them 
how easy is it to understand these courses? I guess it's subjective. It is. Uh, so I, I like the, the 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 fact that you use the word license because it's mm, it's very yeah. critical to stay within the license space and not get you know go into some TikTok uh, financial influencers. Oh, finfluencer, influencers. Right? Yeah. yeah. So those are the dangerous ones. So license is one. Second, I would say it's the the quality of these infographics and information has improved just because PowerPoint has improved. So, so, so you know, they are able to explain things. You know, if you take a look at uh, even DBS, for example, they have a section on structured products and various things. It's so nicely explained in, you know, some kind of animation, graphics. And I think that is, uh, it's, it's the improvement of uh, presentation tools, which has actually made it easier. And it's not chunky paragraphs, you know, or a 25-page document, which you have to uh, muddle through to discover the nature of the product. All right. Now, what have readers so far been saying about the book, Swapnil? Because it's been out for a few months already. Uh, the ones who've contacted you, spoke to you, come up to you, what have they said? So the, the story is, it's something which is resonating a lot with them. And uh, it's very interesting to see people say, hey, you know, this character, I completely relate with this one. Or, uh, you know, they have they faced the similar situation. And actually, when the book was being uh, written, I would I, I used to write the short story first and then share it with a group of beta readers yeah. and ask them to react to it with questions. And then those questions kind of became the reflections. Okay. And that's working very well because when, when I'm getting the feedback is that when they read the story, it automatically triggers the question that, hey, what could you know Ben have done differently? Or what is it that Aisha did wrong? And then those questions are answered in the reflections. So the uh, the connection is good. Second is the emotion. Mm. So see, typically investing books are all about skill. How to, you know, value trading, options trading, become the best options trader, uh, identifying value stocks. Those are all very technical. Uh, you need to know a lot more to be able to, even though they are simple books, but they're complex. Here, what people have liked is the connection from the emotion point of view. Mm. I was scared of losing my money. That's a great connection. People immediately resonate with that and saying yes. So the storytelling aspect has... Uh, has helped, uh, especially people who are not naturally inclined to read a book on finance or investing, because that's again, it's the industry has created this aura that it requires you to be very sophisticated. And, and, and so I, in fact, I've used this line in the book and I use it a lot. You have to be sophisticated enough to realize that the solutions are simple. Mm -hmm. But to even realize that you need to go through the hurdle of information and you will find that actually investment process is an extremely simple process. It is. And it gets lost in complexity, jargon, and the fact that, oh my God, it's something which only finance people, people who are good with numbers. It's none of that. It's just being able to, uh, I would say, anchor yourself to a plan, stick to it, uh, understand that you'll get emotional and accept it and navigate through it. Yeah. It's uh, You can't outskill uh, emotions. And help is always available. It's always available, yeah. yeah. You just have to find the right kind of help and trust your gut. So the stories that resonated with a lot of people who came up to you, uh, which ones did they find very relatable? Uh, Dora was one which was, I would say, has got the highest uh, in terms of They've reached a point where they have some money. Yeah. They've also managed to say that, yes, I want to do something about it. But they just straight start jumping into investing decisions without thinking, why am I doing this? Or do I really want to do this? 
So you you go to somebody and you meet somebody who says, oh, I've got a, a broking account and I trade stocks. So you go back home and saying, yeah, I think I'll also trade stocks. We don't stop and think that, hey, wait a second. Is this what I really want to do? Yeah. So Dora's situation was, I would say, the most uh, common and followed by Aisha's because yes. people are not able to ask. <laughs> so I've actually listed out the questions that you should ask. So I've, I've literally drafted yes. them. <laughs> this book really is one of a kind. Huh? Okay, so what is the most unwise financial decision that a younger Swapnil made that's in the book? Uh, at the first story. So that was something which definitely is is my unwise decision where I didn't start early enough with the, uh, you know, saving and investing habits. That one is... The uh, Felix, the story Felix, of Felix. Right? Yeah, yeah, Felix, so that's Felix right. is the one who is prioritizing spending over saving. That's right. Yeah, so that was something which I would say is... And, and again, because of personal experience, I can say it is not all or nothing. Somehow when we say that don't spend... We make it about don't spend anything. Mm. But you can always coexist. You can spend 90% and have 10% as saving. 90-10 is better than 100 and 0. That's right. You, you said that at the beginning as well. And also, before I let you go, for those who've just recently joined us, what other financial no-nos would you like to highlight? The, the main ones that are in your next book so that <laughs> we can look forward to it. So we know what you're talking about now. But there's definitely going to be a next book, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some. I'm doing some research on this. Uh, I would say biases. So okay. human biases. Uh, to become aware of them. So a bias is like herding as a bias. I see everyone buying one particular product, so I join the bandwagon and say so. That's herding. Uh, confirmation bias. It happens in you know. In fact, that's what I spoke about in the the CNA uh, yes, last right. month. Yeah. Which is. We tend to read what we what agrees with us. So to put in conscious effort that you're 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 getting information and news which is diversified and not based on an algorithm which is just feeding you what you like. So I think biases is a topic which uh, I want to. I mean, I'm I'm currently working on, and I think people can start becoming aware of that. That hey, am I tempted to buy this stock or this uh, particular financial product? Because everyone is buying it, just that awareness is a great start because then you are alert, then you are aware. Yeah, you uh, stop yourself from you thinking. Yourself. Or you ask questions. So, yeah. You ask questions yeah. and take notes. Yeah. Finfluencers, will they be in the next book? Oh, it's a tricky one. I think yeah. uh, they're going to be difficult. They're not regulated. I am. Mm. I, for me, the regulator plays a very important role yeah. of giving the stability to the industry because it's all about trust. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not very comfortable with um, financial fin advice being given out on social media. Uh, on social media because it also anchors you to success. It gives you the illusion that everything that you're doing is giving you success. Mm, mm. And that's not a guarantee. You can invest and you can lose money as well and nobody will talk about it. Yeah. So you see only success and that's a dangerous conclusion to draw. Yeah. I see uh, a lot of those ads on social media. Too many for my liking. <laughs> Swapnil, thank you. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank it, you. It's always lovely having you on air. I'd like to thank Swapnil Mishra, author of Investing for the Clueless, Reckless and Overly Cautious. You can get it online or at bookstores here.
That's all for today's Culture Club, and I'm Melanie Oliveira for CNA 938. Before making any decisions based on the information in our program, please consult your own financial advisors to take into account your investment objectives, financial situation, and individual needs. 